This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This is just a heads up that this is the final episode in the 2021 season for Queries, Qualms, and Quirks. Join us the first Thursday in January for the beginning of season two. Can't wait to share a whole bunch of new stories with everyone. But my God, there's like that awful paralyzing fear of it's on net galley now. Now anybody in the world can pick this rag up and start flipping through it. Welcome to Queries, Qualms, and Quirks, the weekly podcast that asks published authors to share their successful query letter and discuss their journey from first spark to date of publication. I am your host, author Sarah Nicholas, and literary agent Sarah Fisk. Today we're talking to romance author Cherish Reed. Cherish is the author of three contemporary romance novels, The Right Escape, Hearts on Hold, and Trust Falling for You. She and her husband currently live in Sweden, teaching and exploring their new town. So please welcome Cherish to Queries, Quams, and Quirks. Hello. Hello, Sarah. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story with us. All right, we're going to talk about your journey to publication today. We're going to start by going all the way back to the beginning. When did you first start getting interested in writing? And then how long did it take from then before you started getting serious about pursuing publication? I wish I could say something brilliant, like I wrote my first book when I was seven, but that's hardly the case. I was writing a lot of fan fiction as a teenager, Vampire Chronicles. Uh, I was doing that for, I forget which one, but Anne Rice is very litigious and she took down all of that. Mm -hmm. So, (laughs) Uh, but I've been writing some form of something since I was uh, maybe 16 between short stories writing books that would not go anywhere, poetry, publications, blogging. I finally decided I'm going to write what I love, which is romance. And I don't think that I ever really put any thought into it until after graduate school. And I was like, I want to do this kind of writing instead of the academic writing that I've been forced (laughs) to do. I started in earnest writing my first novel in 2017. That would be the debut novel that would be eventually published. Nice. Can you tell me a little bit more about the moment that you realized that you wanted to be a published author? I've always wanted to be published in some form or fashion. Um, I had already had a couple of, a few poetry publications under my belt. But this first book, The Right Escape, I wrote in 2017 during NaNoWriMo. And I thought, well, this is a damn good story. I got to put it out there. I got to do something with it. But obviously, 2017 to the publication date of 2019, a lot of editing and revision, beta readers, uh, critique partners had to happen. But I I wanted to put in that kind of work, and I did not start querying until we got here to Sweden. Mm. I think I got too busy 
after, you know, trying to pack everything up and move my life and whatnot, I finally settled down once we got here in 2018. And I was like, I'm going to get back to this. So that's when I started querying. I did pitch wars. I did a lot of Twitter pitch events. (laughs) So you knew when you wrote that first book that you wanted to have it published? For sure. The right escape was like one of those, um, I love it so much. Why the hell wouldn't anybody else love it? It's a certain amount of arrogance. So once you decided you wanted to be published, how did you learn more about the publishing industry? Like how it works, how to query all the different stuff? Oh, man, it was an unorganized education and haphazardly thrown together through a lot of Twitter, through a lot of Googling how to write a query letter, because the queries that I had written were mostly for poetry back in the day. So it's obviously a different genre. Like, I think I had the bare bones, but I needed to see like different templates. I'm a template kind of person. (laughs) Like I said, all of this was very slapdash. And thing about me, though, is like, I'll just throw myself out there, (laughs) even if I don't have all the tools. And that query letter that I sent you could be evidence of me not having all the tools. (laughs) But um, I just wanted to try it anyway, any way that I could. So then what happened? Can you break down for us your journey from deciding you're going to put that book out on sub to signing your first book contract. So cold querying happened alongside people, editors who had actually shown interest during one of these pitch events. So an editor had liked, I saved their information. Uh, It was Karina Press, which is a subset of Harlequin romance. So I was doing both at the same time. I don't know how if this is a good idea, but I was just throwing everything against the wall and seeing what stuck. So between the cold queries of agents and the cold querying and the pitch event stuff, I got notification back from Karina roughly around the same time as I got a email from my now agent saying like, I'm into this. What's going on? Let's talk. (laughs) And I said, well, I've got a call coming in. I've got a call with Karina. What should I do? And she was like, whoa, 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 calm down. <laughs> I can barely remember it, but I I would say that I signed with the both of them nearly this within like the same couple of days. Hmm. I don't know if that's the right way to do it, but that's the way it happened. And my agent She helped me with, you know, contracts and whatnot. And but basically, I just got it done. So did your agent help like negotiate the contract or? She did. Yeah, definitely. By the looks of it, she said, this looks good. Uh, You know, let's take a look at these things. Uh, Let's talk to them about these things. Obviously, I had talked to her quite a bit before putting my name down on anything. But she said, for my book, this seems like a really good opportunity to get your foot in the door. Like, let's go with it if you're cool with it. And I was. And <laughs> I, I had a, <laughs> I had a great time. Awesome. Can you read your successful query letter for us? No, oh, no. Yes, I can. <laughs> but geez, it's, 
it got me in the door, but I'm not happy with it now looking back. <laughs> Dear so-and-so, as a longtime reader of romance fiction, I often seek romance or novels that uh, put Black female protagonists in the driver's seat. I especially enjoy authors like Courthy, Courtney Milan, in parentheses, talk sweetly to me, and Alyssa Cole, parentheses, Duke by default. I have completed an 80,000-word manuscript entitled Right Into His Arms. Obviously, that title got changed. That I believe will make a good fit for your representation. I must add that your colleague so-and-so also showed interest in my pitch tweet. So that's like the introduction. When literary editor Antonia Harper loses her job and her cheating boyfriend in a span of 24 hours, she decides that the honeymoon she had planned in Ireland will be the perfect destination to refocus on her unfinished novel and self-esteem without any distractions. Irish professor Aidan Burns is disenchanted with teaching and has been dumped by his longtime girlfriend. An escape to the rolling green hills of Connemara will give him the time to lick his wounds and write without distraction. When she arrives in Ireland, Antonia finds herself in a vacation rental next door to a sexy professor who throws her plans off the rails. Despite Antonia's attempts to keep her hands only on her keyboard, she soon finds herself in a passionate embrace of a man who challenges her to chase her literary dreams. However, Antonia discovers her escape to Ireland doesn't necessarily mean an escape from the real world or her past. Both catch up with her and she must make difficult decisions about her future. Hopefully, those plans include Aiden. I report on feminism, travel, and literature on my blog slash YouTube channel, The Motley News, and I teach at a local university in Edinburgh, Sweden. My experience as an English professor allows me to be open to the continual process of editing and writing, while my love for travel allows me to weave new experiences in my storytelling. My protagonist, Antonia Harper, represents what I want to see in romance novels, uh, smart black women who are a little awkward and vulnerable, but excited for far off adventures. I'm convinced readers will find right into his arms a delightfully sexy escape. Thank you for your consideration. Yeesh. <laughs> I like it. It's cute. Yeah. I, if I read it now, I would request it for sure. Okay. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> How has your experience been since sending that first book contract, you know, with the publishing process and the publishing industry, especially were there any surprises along the way? The contract, obviously, you're like wildly giddy about everything and like, oh, my God, I did it. I finally did it. And then along the way, I think the most surprising thing that I've learned about publishing is just how slow everything is. You hurry up to wait on everything and, um, you know, my friend Denise Williams has reminded me like a million times, just like, celebrate, like celebrate the things that do finally happen and celebrate them hard. And so I'm trying to do that. But as far as like, um, you know, each stage of the publication went, 
I learned very quickly, like how to manage my time based on somebody else's expectations. My editor was not going to be playing around with me and my dilly dallying and ADHD. So like when Harlequin says that they have a schedule, you meet it. (laughs) And, um, you know, as far as like things regarding covers they were really awesome in letting me, you know, give me, give them feedback on what it is that I was looking for. Yeah, I, it was a good experience for the first two books. And, um, and then the third, I've self-published. I'm no longer with Karina after the first two book contract. That was pretty much it. Nice. It's funny you mentioned Denise because she was on the show pretty early on. Yeah. And that was great. And your agent is Saritza? Yeah, Saritza Hernandez. Yeah, she's a good friend of mine. Oh, wonderful. (laughs) This is the quick round portion of the show. I call it author DNA. It's just like quick classifications that we put writers in. Are you a pantser or a plotter? A bit of both. Uh, I plot as much as I can. And then after a while, it's like, we're doing this. (laughs) (laughs) Do you tend to be an overwriter or an underwriter? (sighs) when I'm pantsing, then I'm an overwriter. When I'm plotting, then I know exactly what I need to do. And it's like the good amount, if that makes (laughs) sense. Yeah. Uh, Do you tend to write better in the morning or at night? Yeah, early evening, I guess. Mm -hmm. Uh, Early riser. When starting a new story, do you typically start with character or plot or concept or something else? Oh, that's a good one. In romance, uh, concept, as far as tropes, are really important. So I guess I would say, mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. something trope-based. Uh, so maybe concept is what I start with. Do you prefer coffee or tea? Coffee, please. <laughs> when you're writing, do you prefer silence or some kind of sound? Uh, I'll listen to music. It might have some random playlist going. When it comes to the first draft, are you more of a get-it-down kind of person or a get-it-right kind of person? get it right until I have to remind myself I've got to get it down. (laughs) Does this make me sound insane? I feel like I'm not answering one way or another. (laughs) What tools or software do you use to draft? I use um, an app called Dabble. It's kind of like Scrivener Lite because I'm scared of Scrivener. Check that out. I haven't heard of it. Yeah. Do you prefer drafting or revising more? Mm, Drafting. Do you write in sequential order or do you hop around? I've got to be linear. Otherwise, it'll just drive me insane. (laughs) (laughs) And final quick round question. Are you an extrovert or an introvert? I'm pretty extroverted. Obviously, I just hope none of my questions are terribly or none of my answers are terribly long. (laughs) No, no, they're good. The show is called Queries, Qualms, and Quirks. So we're going to talk about the second cue now. What were some of the worries that you had on your journey and were they realized or did you overcome them or how did they shake out? Mm. Yeah, the qualms I had were I like the book, my friends like the book, or so they say. My agent likes the book because she's like taking a chance on me, making her money. The editor claims that they like the book, but my <laughs> God, there's like that awful, paralyzing fear of it's on NetGalley now. Mm. Now anybody in the world can pick this rag up and start <laughs> flipping through it. 
yeah, the first book, it was like a lot of anxiety of like, I don't know, just trying to convince myself that I hadn't done something disastrous, like (laughs) write a book and put it out there. And I love being out there. Uh, but I don't like feedback either. <laughs> so you don't read your Goodreads reviews? Oh, I mean, I started to. Because, you know, like, I straight up ignored all my friends. And I was like, I can't take it. And then my husband was like, oh, my God, for the love of God, please stop reading this. <laughs> and um, I think I stopped around... After the book was released, maybe I I kept it up. Then the second book came out and I was up to my old shenanigans again and still getting my feelings hurt. (laughs) Uh, Like any other author would feel like they got their feelings hurt. But then, you know, after a while, you're like, you know, I got to get back in the lab. I got to keep writing. I can't be worried about who says what and, and where. I got to do the job that I set out to do. So yeah, feedback, (laughs) reviews, even though they're not for (laughs) authors, um, I feel some type of way. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's hard. People always say don't read your reviews, but it's so hard not to because without them, it's hard to know how your book is being received, which is something that a lot of writers worry about for obvious reasons. For sure. But then you realize... The reviews <laughs> don't necessarily reflect sales or, you know, how the public is receiving it. It reflects how the specific kinds of people who post reviews on Goodreads are receiving it. Basically, yeah. Which is a, a subset. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Now we're going to talk about the third cue. Do you have any writing quirks? Is there anything about your writing process that is kind of interesting or different or unique? Ooh. I don't know if this has anything to do with me being ADHD, but there is like, for each book, there's probably just one song that I'll listen to over and over and over. It's actually weird and embarrassing, but like, (laughs) I I think I wrote uh, my second book to just one Hozier song put on repeat. (laughs) (laughs) You know, that repetitive thing. I love because it's comforting to me or whatever. I don't know. I find that a little odd. Sometimes I will write until the evening, maybe because I get started in the early evening and take breaks or whatever. But like if it's really hot and things are like, you know, flying, I might write until three in the morning. And that's not terribly unusual. Yeah, that's the hyper focus part of ADHD. Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) You get it. (laughs) When you were in the lowest parts of your journey, what kept you going and why did you stick to it? I'm a kind of person who needs a lot of positive validation, (laughs) a lot of external validation. And somebody kind of slap me around metaphorically and say, get out of your own head, because there's a lot of space in here for me to like roam around and ruminate. (laughs) And my husband is really good at, you know, putting things in perspective and my friends too, because writer friends tend to have the same issues. And they tell you, I was complaining about this or crying about this like a month ago. And you basically gave me the advice that I'm about to give you, like, please take it. (laughs) 
<laughs> it's like a <laughs> feedback loop yeah. that we obviously need. And I think um, just surrounding myself with people who understand the industry make me feel better. Do you feel like you made any mistakes on the way that you might want to warn listeners about? So hopefully they don't make the same ones. Hmm. Yeah. I wish that I had gotten better or done research on what series writing could look like for me in romance. I found that standalones are great, but I should have gotten myself geared up to learn more about how to create a series of sorts. And I think that would have helped me probably have an option to give Karina when the first two books in the contract were up, I was like on to working on my next standalone and I didn't feel like it was kind of right for them. So I didn't have anything to give them, but if I had maybe done a better job of, I would say, get all your good ideas together, start writing sample chapters of them, start writing sample synopses of them and have them in a file so that you're ready to just throw the publisher whatever thing you've got is like, you know, an option for your next book or continued contract. I think I should have done a little bit more research on how to do that. Now I have a pretty good idea. So mm. yeah, that's especially great advice for romance writers. Get your plots together is what I guess I'm trying to say is like, well, it's interesting because when you were saying that, I was thinking, as a romance writer, I didn't really have series plans, right? I always wrote standalones as well. Mm -hmm. But you kind of triggered something in me in that even if you have multiple standalone ideas, like concepts, you might be able to find a way to make them into a series if you plan early. Right. Yeah. Can you share with listeners one of the most important lessons you learned on your journey to publication? Who probably to a combination of that whole uh, impatience thing, the hurrying up to just wait. In that hurrying up to wait, you could be doing something more productive than what I was doing. And <laughs> I felt like I was just kind of waiting for one thing at a time instead of like, I don't know. Well, that just kind of pushes people to be overproductive. And that's not really what I want to do either. <laughs> I want people to take a rest. I think because I've heard a lot of authors say something similar. I think the important thing is not to put all of your energy in like refreshing your inbox and waiting for things to come back. Yes, exactly. <laughs> it's much better for your mental health and your career to focus that energy on something that's more productive than just kind of obsessing over your inbox. Yes, yeah, that's a good way of putting that. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I call this the acknowledgement section of the podcast. This is not a business that most of us succeed in completely on our own. So who are some of the people or even organizations who helped you along the way and how? Obviously, since I'm a professor, instructor, I've got to go back to past uh, professors who've like nudged me to go in this direction. I had an English professor who taught poetry, and she let me do, what do you call those, independent studies? Mm. And she was like, do whatever you want. I don't really care. It's your senior <laughs> year. 
And uh, I was like writing terrible poetry at that point. I was like, you know, fully involved in the beat era, Mm -hmm. which is terrible. I was like, I'm going to write a whole chat book about bus poetry, just riding on the bus. It's like, you know, a modern take on on the road, which is insanity. (laughs) And I wrote an entire chat book, like 60 something pages. I don't even know if that's a chat book anymore with this terrible poetry. But Catherine, (laughs) Catherine Kerr sat with me in her office and she read all of that bullshit. And (laughs) she was like, okay, this is good. Keep at it. And she gave me feedback and she gave me encouragement. And obviously now I'm like super critical of myself, but she wasn't. She saw something awesome, I guess, that she wanted to like have me continue to stoke the fires. And I, I hope to be that kind of professor. The writing groups that I've made along the way, like writing friends, really informal situations just like a couple of girlfriends that get together and say we're gonna write something and they've been extremely helpful my friend sandy uh who used to sit with me at my couch and we would write we would do writing sprints now that i'm in sweden she and i still do online writing sprints a lot of friends have helped me along the way and just called me a writer before I could call myself a writer. That was one fascinating thing that I learned about a friend. Like, oh, our friend Cherish, she's the writer. And I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I didn't know that's how you guys perceive me. And that made me say like, well, damn, I better be calling myself a writer. Mm-hmm. And obviously my husband, who's like, you know, in my ear cheering me on every single day saying how brilliant I am. And (laughs) since I'm a Leo, this has really gone to my head. And now I do feel like I'm the center of the universe. (laughs) (laughs) Can you tell us about your latest release? Yeah. uh, Trust Falling for You is the last book that I, uh, that's out there. i self-published it. You know, it's a a novella. So don't go into it thinking you're going to get, you know, a hundred thousand (laughs) words. Since all of my novels uh, that have been published so far are based about, based around educators, this one is as well. This is funny, lighthearted, um, just shenanigans about professors stuck in a work retreat in the woods of Wisconsin. Instead of only one bed, we've got only one cabin, Mm. which I don't know why I thought that was a good idea. Like no (laughs) university would have like their HR department would be like, ah, male and female colleague. So we are suspending disbelief. (laughs) But yes, two rival professors who really don't understand each other, don't really get each other's opposites uh, vibe are stuck with one another and they have to, you know, do all of these team building exercises with one another until uh, sparks fly and they kind of get a better understanding of one another. Like, oh, this is why she behaves this way. And oh, this is why he's like this kind of dude. And they do it in the cabin. 
<laughs> nice. Thank you so much for coming on the show today and sharing your story with my listeners. Oh, of course. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Queries, Qualms, and Quirks. You can find the text of Cherish's query in the show notes, along with links to find out more about her and her books. If you enjoyed the show, I'd appreciate if you'd help me find new listeners by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or Podchaser, telling your friends, or sharing this episode on social media. If you're interested in supporting the show, you can go to patreon.com slash pubtalklive. And if you're a published author interested in being a guest on the show, please click on the home base link in the description or go to sarahnicholas.com and click on the podcast logo in the sidebar. That is Sarah with an H and Nicholas with no H. Thank you so much for listening and we'll see you next time.